father sending me to finishing school. I don't know what my future will be. I do. I close my eyes and I can see a world that's waiting up for me that I call my own. Through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we the world was different. I sat down Thursday to start working on this message after I had watched the morning news. Uh, there were stories about police footage of the aftermath of a mass shooting, uh, stories about airplanes crashing and people dying, NFL cheerleaders being mistreated and asked to do humiliating and degrading things, mental health challenges that continue to rob people of the abundant life that God wants for all people. And I, I think it's easy to look at everything that's wrong with the world and to kind of get discouraged and shake our heads and lose hope. It's easy to get ourselves in groups of people who look like us and think like us and see the world the way we see the world. It's easy to kind of turn inward in a self-protective bubble. Of course, nothing good ever comes easy. It's risky to dream big dreams. It's dangerous to challenge the status quo. It's hard to work together to make the world a better place. Just ask Jesus. 30 years old, he's baptized in the Jordan River, a voice from heaven thunders, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This was a good moment, and the moment did not last. The next thing that happens is Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Don't, don't miss that detail. 
Jesus is led by God, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, which probably means you and I will be led by God into the wilderness at some point in our lives as well. In the wilderness, Jesus is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. He does not give in to temptation. At the end of those 40 days, Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returns to his hometown of Nazareth. He begins teaching people about God, telling people about God's love. Jesus is casting this vision. He has a million dreams for the world God's going to make. And people are interested in this story that Jesus is telling, in this dream that Jesus has, this vision that he is casting. People will come from miles away to hear Jesus. They hear he puts on quite a show. And one Sabbath day at the synagogue in Nazareth, they ask Jesus if he would be the scripture reader for the day. They hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And I'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Finishes reading, rolls the scroll back up, and everyone in the synagogue is is waiting, they're watching Jesus, all eyes fixed on Jesus. What is he going to do next? What is he going to say next? And you can imagine Jesus pauses for dramatic effect. And then he says, this scripture is being fulfilled in your presence today. I'm the one Isaiah is talking about. I'm the one he's pointing to. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And Luke writes, the people are amazed at what Jesus is saying. They're excited about it. They're they're glad about it because they've been waiting for the Messiah for the people of Israel, the Savior for the people of Israel. They're like, all right, our Savior, our Messiah, our conquering King is here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. You're not grasping the fullness of the dream. And Jesus begins to teach them a little more about this dream that he has. This is verse 25. Jesus says, Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. So part of what Jesus is saying is, you're right, it's good news that I'm here. But it's not just good news for you, it's good news for all people. God's love is for everyone. God's grace is for everyone. This is the beginning of Jesus casting this vision, sharing this dream for what he will call, more often than not, the kingdom of God. Follow me, Jesus says, the time has come, repent of your sins, follow me, the kingdom of God is near. Follow me and let's build this kind of world together. Follow me and let's share this amazing message of love and grace that comes from God that's freely given to everybody. Let's share it with the whole world. Remember the scriptures. He's talking to a crowd of of people who are followers of, of the faith of the nation of Israel, who have these scriptures that they hold in high regard. He points back to them and he says, even our scriptures say this is what God has been up to from the very beginning. God's love is for everybody. It includes foreigners. It includes people who do not look like you, think like you, or see the world the way you see the world. And let's work together to do today in our generation what God has been wanting to do in every generation. Who's with me? This is the dream. Follow me. Let's go. And let's read together how the people responded in Luke chapter 4. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. 
When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. They are so mad. How, how do you suppose they demonstrate their anger? Go home, get out uh, on Twitter, and they're like, you won't believe, all caps, what Jesus said in synagogue today, hashtag false messiah. <laughs> I think it's really important for us to pause here in this part of the story. What is going on? Why, why are the people so angry that they do what Luke records they do? They take Jesus, the Bible reader, the, the one they asked to read scripture that day at worship. They take him and they drag him out of the worship center. They take him to the hill that the city of Nazareth is built on. And Luke says their intention is to push him over a cliff so that Jesus will die. They hate his dream. They can't stand his dream, a dream that would include everyone. Now, Jesus' time had not yet come. This is the beginning of his ministry. So he slips through the crowd, and it's not three years later until they kill Jesus for pursuing this dream. Do you ever wish the world was different? Jesus says, follow me. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It's hard work to dream God-sized dreams and to pursue God-sized dreams. And so most people give up when it gets too hard or when they don't particularly like the way it seems to be going, they give up. And it happened to Jesus, but there were some people who were so, they were captured by the power, of the possibility of this dream that Jesus is casting for life with God through Jesus in this, in this new kingdom, this new kind of world, that they follow Jesus no matter what. Outrageously offensive sinners follow Jesus. Overlooked immoral women Follow Jesus. Ordinary, uneducated fishermen followed Jesus. You turn the page from Luke chapter 4 to Luke chapter 5, and there's a great crowd of people who've gathered to hear what Jesus is going to do next or say next, and so many people that he's actually having to preach from the water. He's along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, so he asks the local fisherman, Simon Peter, Can I preach from your boat? You know, kind of use that as my pulpit. And after he's done teaching the, the great crowd that had gathered there, Jesus says to Peter, let's go fishing, even though Peter's been fishing all night and hasn't caught a thing. They go out, and with Jesus in the boat, Peter begins to catch so many fish that his nets begin to tear. His boat begins to sink. And let's read together how Peter responds to what's going on. Read it with me. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Get away from me, Jesus. My life is too messed up for me to be hanging out with you. Do you ever find yourself thinking similar thoughts? I was talking to a guy recently who was talking to me. He was describing his experience of coming back to church, coming back to hope, following his divorce. He said the first time he decided to come back to worship, he drove into the parking lot and he just sat in his car. He couldn't even get out of his car. And, and after the service started, he drove back home. Second time, he got out of the car, got into the building, but just kept walking, went down the stairs, went out the back door, around to his car, and drove home. Third time, he actually made it into the worship center. But he said about halfway through the service, he had to get up and leave. And I said, yeah, that happens to almost everybody. As soon as I get up and start teaching, everyone's out the door. I mean, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. If you ever feel like an outsider, 
if you ever feel like you don't belong, if you ever feel like you are unworthy, undeserving of God's love, you're not alone. And Jesus is inviting you to think about your life, to think about faith, to think about God from a completely different perspective, a kingdom perspective. You belong. What what Jesus says to Peter after this is follow me, follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people. And so Jesus says to all of us, anytime we think there's not a place for us, we don't want, he continues to extend this invitation. Follow me. P.T. Barnum uh, is the guy in the clip, the boy in the clip that we saw at the beginning of the message. It's from a movie called The Greatest Showman. And he has these dreams for this world that he wants to create. He has the dreams as a young boy. And as he moves into adulthood, he continues to pursue these dreams. And and part of the dream as a, a young adult is he buys this wax museum because he thinks people are gonna flock to this wax museum and he's gonna strike it rich. But he's failing miserably. And he has an interesting, surprising conversation with his two daughters and a memory from his past. As his dream's about to die, these two things kind of cause his dream to come back to life. Take a look. You still have any more tickets today? A few, yeah. Most everyone was rushing home. It's Friday, but we sold a few. I think you have too many dead things in your museum, Daddy. Do you? She's right. You need something alive. Go to sleep, both of you. Something sensational. That's a big word. It's your word. Something that isn't stuffed. Like a mermaid. Or a unicorn. Unicorns aren't real. Well, mermaids aren't real either. How's it looking, girls? Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Hello. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. Who's doing this thing? It's you, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Extraordinary. Unique. I would even say beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. but they will. Too many dead things in your museum. 
You need something that's alive. And so P.T. Barnum goes looking for people who are dead, hoping he can bring them back to life. Did you hear what the bearded lady said to him? Sir, please leave me alone. Almost word for word what Peter says uh, to Jesus in Luke chapter 5. I don't think you have to look very hard to see these connections and the similarities between this dream, this vision that Barnum has for the circus, and the dream, the vision that Jesus has for the church, for the kingdom of God. And insert your own joke here about how the church and the circus is kind of the same thing, right? But I wonder if maybe we should embrace that idea. Let's just own it. The church is absolutely a circus, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing to this growing church in the city of Ephesus. Here's what it means to live together as the body of Christ. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. The church is not supposed to be a museum of dead things. It's supposed to be filled with people who are coming to life, and there's all kinds of life in this church. One of the things that's been giving me a lot of life over the last several months is being a part of the phase two team. I try to keep you updated, uh, you know, a couple of times a month what's going on with the phase two team. We're trying to create more room for more people to be a part of what God is doing here. More room for more people. Hi, everybody sitting out in overflow watching on a screen. Yeah, we're glad that you are here. Uh, this, is, this is a picture of the 9.30 service on Easter Sunday. We ran out of room upstairs, so in the harbor, in the lower level, we had to pack about 300 people down in there. That's great on a weekend like Easter, but on most weekends we have Hope Kids. Like today, we have Hope Kids happening. We don't have room in the lower level because we have Hope Kids. This is a picture of Ignition, our ministry for high school students. It was their fall kickoff event uh, last September, uh, growing in our ability to reach out to high school students. Today is confirmation, and you just saw a part of the Power Life students, our ministry to middle schoolers, who were confirmed, 77 students uh, between this service and the next service who are, are being confirmed, Brent Rao. Uh, is filled with life. He was one of uh, the minions in a skit at Christmas Eve a couple years ago. Brent's been leading student ministry. August would be seven years. Uh, and most student ministry staff, the average is less than 18 months. So we fooled Brent into sticking around a lot longer. If you haven't heard, Brent is following a dream. He and his wife, Bridget, uh, this is their last weekend with us, and they're heading to Colorado. Let's pray for them. They have to go to Estes Park, Colorado. It's going to be awful. It's just going to be awful. But yeah, praise God. It's amazing the ways in which student ministry has grown deeper and wider because of Brent's leadership. I don't know if you know this. If you don't have students in middle school, you probably wouldn't. But Power Life, this year, we had to go to two different times for the groups to meet. We didn't have enough room for all of them to meet at once. So the sixth and seventh graders meet first uh, in this room, and they have worship and, and large group teaching, and they break out into small groups. Uh, and then the eighth graders come in, and they have uh, their worship and a large group teaching time before their small groups. We, we still don't have enough room for all the small groups. One of the groups is meeting in the cupboard, our food pantry, which is not an ideal place for in-depth theological conversations, you know, but it'll be great memories for them later on in life. So we need more room for worship, but primarily we need more room for children's ministry. This is Hope Kids uh, Wednesdays, and uh, cool things are happening through that, and on the weekends with Hope Kids, and our, our staff and volunteers are doing the best they can uh, with the limited space that we have, especially at 9.15. We're almost always in overflow at, at 9.15. And so we're trying to figure out how do we make more room for all these things. And, and one of the things we'd like more room for is just gathering space. Like those of you who came early to service today and we just kind of 
forced you into the halls. How you could, it would be a great time to have conversations, but there's not really a good place for that. What if we actually had a place for you to be able to have those kinds of conversations and get to know one another because we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, and that involves conversation and, and making relationships. So this last Tuesday with the um, architect, the phase two team met, and we looked at some very early rough stage sketches, drawings of what it might look like to expand our facility here. We're sitting on 20 acres, got plenty of room to expand here. What might it look like for us to be able to do that? We'll keep you informed along the way as that process unfolds. A couple of things that you can be praying about. Most likely the end of summer or the beginning of fall, we'll have a congregational meeting and we will ask you to approve a giving campaign. That will probably happen in November and then we'll ask you to prayerfully consider forking it over so that we can actually do something. Um, Exciting times, exciting times for us here. And in the meantime, we got to keep the mission in front of us. You think about if you drew some concentric circles from this space going out a mile from here, five miles from here, 10 miles from here in in heathen places like Huxley. I mean, how many people, (laughs) sorry, I don't know. How how many people in in those areas feel like outsiders? Feel like there's not a place for them? Haven't encountered the love of God that can change everything for them. So our mission is to reach out to everyone, reach out to the whole world so that the whole world can come alive. You stumble through the days, got your head hung low, your sky's a shade of gray. Like a zombie in a maze. Two, please. You're asleep inside, but you can shake awake. You're just a dead man walking Think that's your only option But you can flick the switch And brighten up your darkness game Sun is up and the color's blinding Take the world and redefine it Leave behind your narrow mind You'll never be the same Come alive, come alive Go and light your light Let it burn so bright Reaching up to the sky and it's open wide, your legs will fight. The world becomes a fantasy, and you're more than you could ever be. It's a dream with your eyes wide open. Whoa, but you know you can't go back again to the world that you were living in. It's a dream with your eyes wide open. So come alive.
what the Christian faith believes, that we have a God who takes things that are dead and brings them back to life. God wants you to be more alive tomorrow than you are today. The problem is one of the great temptations that we have just living in this world is sometimes we prefer the old way. We prefer the ways of death. And so this is our great temptation to go back again to the world that we were living in. You see it happening in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is casting this vision. This is the way forward. Here's where we're going. This is the, the way to life. And the people are like, no, 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 we want to stay in this world that we're comfortable with. You fast forward to Ephesians chapter 2, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, after he spent three years casting this vision for what's the kingdom of God all about, and the temptation is to go back to the world that they were living in. What do we do with these Gentiles who want to follow after Jesus? Do, Do they have to become Jewish first before they can do that? Maybe we shouldn't even allow Gentiles to be a part of this movement of Jesus. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's for everyone. It's for Jews and Gentiles. It's for everyone. It's for the whole world. Here's part of what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Don't forget, you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Power Life, our ministry to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, it's our confirmation program, which makes sense to those of you who grew up going to churches where there was confirmation, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for those of you who never went to church when you were a kid or went to a church that didn't have confirmation. So maybe you went to a church that had a youth group or you lived in a town you didn't really go to church, but maybe you knew friends who went to youth group. So Power Life is both, confirmation if you want to be confirmed and youth group if you just want to be in a place where you can belong and you can learn about God's love. You don't have to be confirmed to go to Power Life. And one of the favorite things that happens when people do choose to get confirmed is we ask them to write a faith statement. It's not the favorite thing for them to do, but it is the favorite thing for me to be able to read through their faith statement, this this sort of personal creed. This is what I believe. And you start to see different themes emerging from these faith statements. A lot of the middle school students will write about the feeling of being an outsider as they try to navigate middle school. Can I get an amen from the congregation? You remember what it was like to try to navigate middle school? There'll be themes emerging of this sense of a a loss of hope when something bad happens in life, the death of a family member, or, or something like not getting the grade that you want, or not making the team or the play or the uh, musical group that you wanted to be a part of. And there's a loss of hope. I, I love how some of the students will just honestly say, I, I'm 14, I'm 15 years old, I have not figured out completely what I believe. But I'm here and I'm searching and I'm wondering if we, if we asked all of you to write a faith statement, what percentage of you would say something similar? I'm not exactly sure what I believe. And that's okay, we're glad that you're here. We want you to explore and to take a look at Jesus and figure out what it is you believe. Olivia Aerosmith Uh, I asked her if I could share a portion of her faith statement with you today because she hits on another theme that emerges, and that is so many of our students are like, I want to be a part of something. I want to be a part of something that helps make the world a better place in Jesus' name. Olivia writes, this is my story, and one thing I've learned about it is it's written in pen. I will make mistakes. They're inevitable. I may not like them. I may cross them out over and over and over. But at the end of the day, they're still there. They're still a part of my story. And without them, there will be parts of me missing. The best part, though, is that God acts as a sort of magic eraser. 
He swoops in, and because of the death of his son, he wipes all of my sins and mistakes away and allows me to start over brand new and much better the next day. In making an effort to put my full faith into God, I'm learning how to love others while still loving myself. I'm learning it's okay not to be okay. I know that whatever I may go on to do in my life, God will use me to help make others happy and feel like they are a part of something because really we're all a part of something. God's mission, to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Every day I feel myself progressing further and further to my goal, closer and closer to God. Some days I feel like a penguin with tiny little baby steps. And some days I feel like I have strides as big as an elephant. I particularly like that she's keeping with the circus theme for the day. So that <laughs> There are even days where I feel like I may have backpedaled a mile. But at the end of the day, I always remind myself of Proverbs 24, verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Olivia says, as long as I have a seventh fall, there will always be an eighth rise to accompany it. Praise God for the faith that God is forming in the lives of our young people. Life is messy. Our, our lives are going to be far from perfect, and we're going to fall multiple times. And that's why it's so important to know that we have a God of love and a God of grace who will pick us up, who will forgive us, who will give us a, a second chance. I think a lot of times people ask, yeah, but can't I believe in God without being a part of the church? Of course you can, I guess, but why would you want to try to do it alone? Why would you want to go after fall after fall after fall and not have a community of love and grace to help pick you up and get you back on your feet? That's the dream that Jesus has for the church, for the body of Christ, and it's part of the dream that P.T. Barnum has for the circus. I'm not sure that he began with that as his dream, but along the way, he starts to figure it out, that, that the people in his circus are finding a place where they belong, a, a community of love for the first time in their life. And of course, there are detractors. There are people who don't think this should be happening, don't think that this is good. And so at one point in the film, there's a fight between some townspeople and some circus people, and the fight includes a fire that burns the circus to the ground. And so in this scene, P.T. Barnum is sitting in the rubble of his dream, and in walks this newspaper critic, the guy at the end of the, the last clip, who has never really thought too highly of the circus, uh, particularly hasn't thought too highly of P.T. Barnum, and they have a bit of a conversation. Take a look. If you come to gloat, I wouldn't. They caught the thugs who started the fire. I thought you'd like to know. I never liked your show, but I always thought the people did. They did. They do. Mind you, I wouldn't call it art. Of course not. But putting folks of all kinds on stage with you, all colors, shapes, sizes, presenting them as equals. Or another critic might have even called it a celebration of humanity. I would have liked that. Mm. 
Well, I hope you'll rebuild. Mm. Figured it'd end up here, feeling sorry for yourself. Folks, if you've come to get paid, the money's gone. All of it. Nothing Shut left to Shut up, give you. Barnum. You just don't get it. Our own mothers were ashamed of us. Hit us our whole lives. Then you pull us out of the shadows. And now you're giving up on us too. Maybe you are a fraud. Maybe it was just about making a buck. But you gave us a real family. And the circus, that was our home. We want our home back. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Cause from that rubble what remains can only be what's true if all was lost there's more i gained cause it led me back to you The newspaper critic says the circus is a celebration of humanity. I wonder if looking at it through the eyes of faith, we might better say it's a celebration of the body of Christ. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. A wall of hostility that separated groups of people from one another, but also a wall of hostility that separated us from God. Jesus tears it down, knocks it down, breaks it down through his body and through his blood. And we remember that when we come to the Lord's table. We remember it was the night he was betrayed. Jesus was sharing a meal with his closest friends. He took some bread, broke it, and blessed it, and gave it to them. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember me when you eat it. Later in the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this and remember my love when you drink it. <laughs> 